So you're saying we're in sort of a historic area for you? Yeah, we're we're at 55th, uh, just off 7th, and yeah. my manager Herb Gart's office was at 54th, 151 West 54th Street, which is one block yeah. down um, on the corner of 7th. So I was just sitting, watching very carefully and closely and experientially uh, the building hmm. um, I wrote uh, most of South Atlantic Blues in there and uh, and we were there for much of the recording also we all lived in the manager's office um, money was very thin in those yeah. days yeah Herb was a, a great folk rock um, folk and folk rock manager he'd uh, um, I met him at uh, I was gigging at the Cafe Gogo uh, and uh, and this fellow came in and, and after my set he said listen my name's Herb Gart if you sign with me in six months you'll be bigger <laughs> than Elvis Presley um, and I manage Buffy St. Marie yeah. so the Buffy part is what got me okay that Presley was interesting. Sure, that's a pretty tempting offer, no matter who you are. But than Buffy St. Marie was the most beautiful thing on God's yeah. earth. Yeah. Uh, so I signed with him, and uh, and and we had interesting, colorful times, dramatic, yeah. and. You, you you moved back to New York, pretty much penniless, right? When he first came out here. Well, I I didn't I didn't view it as moving back to New York. Mm. Uh, I've you know I've read some things where I was anxious to get back to the city of my birth. Yeah. But no, I was coming to make records, and the only reason I left the islands is we couldn't record there. Um, this is where the music I loved was coming from, mm. and um, and that's why I came here. Yeah. Um, I love New York, but it wasn't me longing for my roots, you know. So how long were you here before uh, before he promised that you would be bigger than Elvis? Well, the first, I got, um, I sailed up to uh, um, to Florida, to Dinner Key, which was a, a great big marina, in the Coconut Grove, mm. which was a fairly hip part of Florida in those days, and got a gig singing at a place called the House of Pegasus in Fort Lauderdale. A uh, group of young girls formed a Scott Fagan fan club and <laughs> scraped up $50 and sent me off to New York. So I came on the Greyhound. When I got here, I had 11 cents and a telephone number. Yeah. Um, I called the number, and um, the voice at the other end said, well, come on over here. Let me hear what you got. So I went over to the Forest Hotel, which was a hotel on 49th. Um, right across the street from the Brill Building, yeah. which was uh, Rock and Roll yeah. Central. Yeah. Um, he said, let me hear what you got. Um, and th- there was this enormous fellow sitting in a triple-wide bed wrapped in a sheet. Um, and and this fellow was the fantastically gifted Doc Palmas. So Doc says, well, let me hear what you got. So I sang three songs that I'd written for mm-hmm. him. And uh, when I was finished, he said, uh, tell you what, Scott Young, and uh, sign you to personal uh, contract management. 
and I'm going to sign you to our production company, Palm Shoe. Palm Shoe was Palmer Schumann Productions. Go down to the desk, tell them to give you room, and come on up here and let's get started. This was it within a day this of was you arriving the here? first day wow. in New York. Did, w- did you have a plan B with no 11 cents in your pocket? No, yeah. if, if I didn't, you know, if something didn't happen with Doc, something yeah. would have happened somewhere. I, I, lived, in a, I lived in a charmed uh, parallel dimension. I was young and I sang yeah. really well and and I was uh, good looking and and I was fairly street smart. Yeah. Um, and and I was I liked chicks and chicks liked me and ah, I see. And they were looking high and low for fellows like me. So maybe finding a place to stay overnight no, wouldn't be that Lord. difficult. No, no, no. <laughs> you just go somewhere and you sing. Yeah. And it it was just a loving exchange. Yeah. Was was New York a good place for a young songwriter at the time? Well, I think it was the place. Yeah, uh, New York or London, um, maybe L.A. But uh, but I I prefer New York. Um, and it was you had to be somewhere like this. Yeah. So um, yeah, I was in the right place. When once once you had this conversation, once he told you you were going to be, you know, bigger than Elvis. Well, did that, that's a few years later. Okay. So I'm, I signed with Doc Palmas and Mark Schumann. Okay. And um, and they immediately put me in the studio to do demos. Yeah. Um, uh, so that I'd be comfortable in the studio. Studio is fairly stressful place. Yeah. The clock is moving every second is a dollar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fairly stressful. In those days, we were to do three songs in two hours. Yeah. And by God, they better be good. Um, that wasn't Doc's perspective. That was the publisher's perspective. Yeah. Uh, Doc was signed to Hill and Range, and um, uh, Hill and Range had done great things in terms of promoting their tunes and so forth. It was a different um, music business reality then. He he was a he was a pop songwriter. I mean, he's written some very you know famous what are, what are, what are uh, standards now? I suppose did yeah. he help you? Um, did he help you get together sort of a kind of a commercial? Well, image? I'm not commercial. Yeah. Um, and 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 the conflict in me was always. Are you going to be commercial, yeah. or are you going to be honest? And though I had tremendous pressures to be commercial and make money mm. and rescue my family, yeah, um, there was more pressure in me to be honest. My hope was that people would respond to that, and and uh, and we would be changing the world and. Paying the rent. Yeah, it it was also a very idealistic time. Obviously, a lot of uh, there are a lot of singer songwriters out there looking to change the world. Well, and still, yeah. I mean, that you you, you do work to make a difference. How You're working to make a difference, right? I suppose you know, maybe on a smaller level. Um, well. What's a delusional uh, level? <laughs> what 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 sort of difference do you think 
um, what, what sort of difference were you looking to make through through music? I mean, other than obviously, what sort, make, of what? What sort of difference? Other than you know, making people's lives, I guess, a little bit better. Um, so, the idea of entertainment may be to make your life a little better for a few minutes. Yeah. I grew up in the Virgin Islands in very difficult material circumstances. Um, and um, and when I was nine, uh, we had to flee to Puerto Rico. Uh, my mother and her husband, my mother married uh, seven times. Um, each of them alcoholic. And, and she... Uh, progressed into her own alcoholism so uh, running from the bill collector we wound up in Puerto Rico uh, next to what was then the the grandest slum in all of the Spanish Caribbean maybe all of Spanish America called El Fanguito it was um, a slum, but it was a nice slum. No, it was not a nice slum. <laughs> oh, grand is just the largest, I see. Okay. Grande, grande. <laughs> grande, okay. Um, no, it wasn't a nice slum, but it, but it was life. Yeah. And, um, and real, real, real life. Uh, so our, our first day there, um, I saw something that I'd never seen before, never seen in the Virgin Islands. I mean, we... Life can be really tough in, in, in the Caribbean and the West Indies. But in El Fanguito, little, beautiful little children were, were digging in garbage cans. They came come out of El Fanguito to uh, Fernandez Juncos Avenida de Fernandez Juncos, where, where people of a little more means lived. And, and, and these children were naked and and sticking their their hands in the garbage and pulling stuff out and putting it in their mouths and and I was really deeply shocked and and I said to myself man if the people in America knew about this yeah. they'd help <laughs> and then uh, the next thought was I got to tell them about it yeah so that was the genesis of my writing to affect change in yeah. the world. It wasn't to provide three moments of distraction from life. It was to provide insight into life outside of yeah. of of their of what their lives have been of one's own experience. So that was the genesis of that's the kind of change that I that I meant to uh, bring about and and as I've I've grown certainly I've come to value um, the three or five or thirty minute or or yeah. however long vacation from yeah. our own singular misery that entertainment might provide. How did how did that desire to inform people? What how did that manifest itself on on the record? Are there are there songs that you can? Are point you to? familiar? You're not familiar. I, oh, I I, I I I just got it. I've been listening yeah. to it. Yeah. Well, there's a song on there called "In Your Hands" um, that um, that I wrote right right down the street um, when uh, Lyndon Johnson proclaimed a day of prayer to end the war in Vietnam. Tell the preacher man 
to turn his head around Cause once a man has died he's gone to rotting in the ground You've got to tell the man to stop Christian sound Spread the news of glory In the new life We have found And um, the war in Vietnam was killing an awful lot of folks um, Lyndon Johnson could have ended that war any morning in two seconds. Instead, he was putting it on the American public to pray like hell, to somehow call God's, whoever their God was, um, to attention to intervene and end this war. And, uh, and it was based uh, on manipulating their religious beliefs. Um, and their children, while they prayed, were going and getting their heads blown off. Not to mention the million Vietnamese people. Um, so, in your hands tries to intervene in, in that process. Um, there's another tune on their tenement halls. Um, maybe you'll listen to some of them. Maybe I don't know what your format is. Maybe you'll intersperse some with this but you'll you'll recognize those songs right away is is music a, a particularly good delivery mechanism or was it just the one you knew the best I think it is for me because I I sing with a lot of passion I sing as though I mean it because I mean it and I write like I mean it because I mean it so um I, it was probably the very best way of delivering uh, uh, my my message. So, so you you, you put the album together. You've, you've you've got a manager. He's telling you you're going to be bigger than Elvis. Um, it comes out in six months. In six months. Yeah, yeah. Comes out. So t- take me to six months after he said that. Well, um, it was a good record. We had, we've yeah. done um, a really good album over here on 56th Street at Music Course Studios. Um, Herb had uh, put um, Horace Ott, who was a young uh, black man from the South, and I together uh, to work up the arrangements for the tunes. Um, we had the, the very best uh, New York City studio guys in there. Yeah. Um, and we we made a really good record. The hands-on producer was Elmer Gordon, who had just uh, previously recorded an album called Pearls Before Swine, which was a very popular underground uh, uh, recording. Um, so we went in, we, we did the uh, recordings, and... Um, and then her began to shop the album. It was an independent production, um, and um, and it was grabbed by Apple, and uh, the Beatles. potentially, yeah, to be their 
their first uh, oh, release wow. on Apple Records. Yeah. So they had to decide between the James Taylor album and mine. <laughs> and um, Peter Asher was the A&R person there. You know yeah. who that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he loved James. Yeah. So um, um, in that process, Jerry Schoenbaum, who was the... Um, the head of Verve Forecast, which was the number one folk rock label yeah, at the time, said, oh, no, I, I want the album. I'm going to be the new president at ACO, and I'm taking Scott's record with yeah. me. Um, so we decided to go with Jerry Schoenbaum. Uh, I then signed with ACO, and Jerry never came to terms on his own deal with ACO, so he never signed, and he never wound up at Atco. So the record was stuck at Atco and Jerry went off to California or yeah. wherever he went. Um, the reality in the music business and probably in the other business is the, the new guy is not going to promote the, yeah. the old guy's yeah. Yeah. pet project. Yeah. Anyway, so um, it came out on Atco and, um, and, and fairly well sank. Um, I was having uh, my first little guy uh, Christmas Eve 1968 um, I had an attorney uh, Bill Krasilovsky who'd written this business of music and was the, the best uh, he got us a staff writing gig um, at uh, Tommy Volando Music by now Thanks to Doc and Mort, I I knew how to craft a, a tune fairly well. You were doing the Brill Building sort of no. Tin Pan Alley. Well, no, I, Doc was my mentor. Yeah. I was his sort of his protege. Yeah. Um, the Brill Building is 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 a quote an industry. Mm. Doc was an artist and and meant to school me in the realities of the business when I came here I'm imagining that songs magically manifested themselves in the studio with the drifters singing them and and um, if you really meant it everything worked out all right that that was all I knew you gotta mean it um, but but doc began to teach me the realities of the business and they were not they were not nice they were not good things. Did, did that that process though? Um, did that make you a better songwriter? Of, of really, I mean, did that? It, it must have made you more serious about songwriting. Well, um, interestingly, uh, the three songs that I sang for Doc in in that audition, um, Doc said, "Scotty, go in the studio. I want you to record these things." And so I did. And recently, Doc's daughter Sharon Felder found those recordings and they are uh, bonus tracks with the CD Uh, also one of Doc's songs I did all Doc's demos Uh, one of those songs is also a bonus track on the CD so you can sort of see what my stage of development was when I got there and and fairly quickly um through exposure to Doc and Morty and, and Lieber and Stoller and all those yeah. guys, um, fairly quickly I began uh, began to learn and apply. The the trick, uh, Doc 
gave me some really important pointers. Probably first and foremost is know where your song's going to end before you start to write it. And before that, you know, I have an idea and a feeling and a melody, and man, I go round and round and and just following the rhyme and following the the, the, the evolution yeah. of the song. That's not the way to do it. What, what does that's that mean? That's the way to not finish anything. What, what does that mean? Know, know where it ends? Is that is that? Um... No, no. What you want to say? Yeah. And say it. Okay. Um, have your ideas as clear as you can yeah. before you begin writing. Otherwise, you're going to get lost in the process. So, um, uh, let's say, say the last dance for me. Sure. You know how that's going to end. Doc said, Scotty, write down all your titles. Um, do your best to make sure your title can tell your story. Um Actually, he, uh, he said, listen, Scott, no matter what time of day or night, no matter what you're doing, um, when the idea comes to you, for God's sakes, get up off the girl and write the title down. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good album title, Get, up, get up, off, get the up off the Girl. Get Up Off the Girl, God bless him. Anyway, um, and I did. Yeah. Um, also, the process of doing demos, of singing well-written, well-crafted songs over and over, um, working with, you know, I think, I think that, that uh, background singers are, are angels on earth. I really do. I mean, they are just the yeah. most magical critters ever. So working with them... Uh, Working with the with the top flight studio dudes that were in there banging these songs out. Oh, so so this isn't okie dokie make believe magical dream time. This is hard work. Write the freaking song, sing the hell out of it, and then go on to the next one. And and I and I I learned that most acutely um, after I'd left Doc before I signed with Herb. I I fed myself my my partner I had a songwriting partner uh, Jose Silvio Martinez f- from Venezuela actually his mother was a Venezuelan Indian uh, and uh, and she married a Greek dude and so Silvio Martinez became Joe Kakoulis uh, and it, it was my he wrote with Doc and then we were writing yeah. together. And he was producing the demos. Anyway, so like many another, many other young New York City songwriters at the time, um, we would write a song and shop it from publisher to publisher. Um, somebody would like it or not. Yeah. You hoped like heck somebody liked it, and you'd get a fifty dollar advance against royalties. It signed a contract. Some of those contracts are still in place. I mean, I've managed to get a number of my tunes back, but man, they they meant to hold on to the yeah. they they sell them back and forth like greeting cards. Anyway, 
um, they, these songs, mine and, and millions of others, are what make up these great catalogs that they sell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so we would we would hustle tunes. Um, when we say sell them, we don't mean sell the rights, although a lot of folks did that. That is the first thing you learn. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Never sell your copyright. Um, so what we're doing is getting an advance against royalties, and we scattered tunes all over, all over the place, and learned in that process how to construct a solid song. It doesn't mean it's commercial; it means it's well written. During this period, you know, as you were sort of waiting to figure out the, the find out the fate of the album, but you were you were learning this in a way an entirely different craft. Did your perception of what what you did for those a living songs, yourself change? Those songs on that album are the product of learning okay. this stuff. I mean, uh, I didn't abandon my yeah. own natural approach or, or yeah. gift. Uh, the song South Atlantic Blues, for example, I wrote at the Forest Hotel um, in the first weeks and months that I was there. Um, and, and I wrote them over time. And, they, and certainly what I was learning was applied. If the song didn't hold together, brother, you're not going to hear it. Yeah. Um, so there were many things that, that didn't hold up, many false starts. Um, but, but that group of songs was written through that, that period. So it, it's not as though I was writing one way and then suddenly through some commercial process. It's just that you learn how to shape your your process through from title, opening verse, will it be a A, A, B, A, that means sure. verse, verse, yeah. release, verse, you know all yeah. this stuff? Yes, you do. Bridge and chorus. And yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so they're different structures. Yeah. A, B, A, B, sure. C, B, A, 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 B, A, stuff like that. Which just means verse, verse, chorus, verse, or verse, verse, yeah. release, no chorus, back to... It's interesting, though. Does that, when you start thinking about it in those sort of, those black and white terms, those almost kind of, you know, mathematic or architectural terms, does that take away some of the magic? It means that you can actually get your idea accomplished. Yeah. Rather, the most fr- the hardest thing I ever learned is how to write well. Um, I mean, and and you know, I never finished high school, and I was most certainly a wild child, and uh, and and structure existed to be overthrown. Yeah. In my yeah. view. Yeah. Yeah. But um, if you overthrow structure trying to write a lyric yeah. that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, you're wasting your time. Uh, this doesn't say that this doesn't mean that we can't do wonderfully experimental things. We can. The uh, the follow up record to South Atlantic Blues is a ninety minute piece of music called Soon that was a rock opera that we wrote to, to follow up and yeah. was on Broadway. So that is that is most certainly stretching um, the structure. Um, but uh, but. It 
seems to be true that you got to know what you're doing before you can really sure. go beyond it. Sure. And I hate to sound like one of those guys, but that's, yeah. I, it, in my experience, it's true for me. Yeah. Um, so we're writing a, a staff writing gig at Screen Gems. We're working on soon, Kakulis and I. Yeah. The phone rings one day. There's this cheery voice on the other end. My friend loves your record, and, and he's inspired, and he did a lithograph, and we want you to come. He's having an opening. We want you to come. So my mother, God bless her, had taught me to be polite always. <laughs> so I was polite. I'm in the middle of writing, yeah. but we stopped, and, and I was polite. He says, we want to send you an uh, invitation. And by now, you know, I, I had I started out as a Columbia artist and then Big Top. Mm. And then I was signed at Bang um, with Burt Burns and did a, a wonderful single for them. And, and then Atco. So I, I, yeah. I had some experience sure. as a recording artist. Yeah, a journeyman. Uh, well, <laughs> some experience with getting fan mail. I don't know what sort of fan mail you get, but I got some scary stuff. <laughs> and this, you know, that place where uh, you left that space between uh, oh, South yeah. and Atlantic, yeah. that big space. I know what you yeah. meant in that space. Yeah. And you want to know something? I don't like it. <laughs> I'm coming to yeah. New York. Jesus, God, you don't want to run into folks People like that. People taking their own baggage oh, and projecting Jesus it onto God, you. God, oh, yeah. Lord, man. Um, so I knew better than to tell people where where they could find me, you know. But I gave this guy the address, and pretty soon a, a wonderful invitation arrives. I'm imagining that this is going to be um, some hole down in the in Alphabet City. Now in those days, yeah. Man, yeah, it was a very different reality. Somewhere down the East Village, and and they're gonna invite us to the gallery, and and it's gonna be day glow canvas and some chicken bones stuck on it, and <laughs> watermelon yeah. seeds, and and not only am I supposed to gonna have to like it, yeah, but I probably am gonna be expected to buy it, uh, or you know forfeit yeah. our lives anyway. So. I, my sweetie from the islands and I and, and Joe and uh, and his wife Abigail getting a taxi and instead of going to the East Village the taxi pulls up at MoMA you're familiar with MoMA yeah, yes of course so the cab pulls up at MoMA and um, we get out and go in there and by god there's my the A side of my record hanging on the wall with all the lights in town shining on it like king Tut's crown or something, and they're standing around. They're the most patrician, clean, and kind people yeah. I think I've ever met. <coughs> and it was Jasper Johns and Merce um, Cunningham and and Bill Katz and a whole group of yeah. wonderful, wonderful people uh, who were very, very kind to us. Um, in fact, um, Jasper gave me one of the original. Lithographs, mm. which um, I unfortunately had to sell to yeah. get my mother a pad. Yeah. Um, 
So, so this in answer to your question, what happened six months after? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the glue disappeared. Yeah. I got another deal. I was recording yeah. for Epic, um, and we were trying to move on. I was very upset that South Atlantic Blues. Uh, people would say to me, Scotty, you're too heavy. That stuff is too heavy, yeah. man. Subject matter? Huh? The subject yeah, matter? And yeah, and the delivery. Yeah. And I wonder, and, uh, you know. By the way, the second most difficult thing I've ever had to do is to learn how to sing happy. I wrote a, a little Christmas operetta for children um, called A Christmas Present for Santa. Story of Sandy the Blue Nosed Reindeer, mm-hmm. little female reindeer yeah. that leads Santa's sleigh to all the warm weather places in the world. And so I had to learn how to do a vocal delivery that yeah. was cheery and 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 uh, not dark and gloomy. That was the second hardest. The first hardest was how to write stuff, and the second how to how to sing uh, cheery. And, it's a wonderful, cheery record. And I'm really happy to be able to do that. Uh, you know, I I grew up in Ireland. We had one radio station. Um, and that radio station had to play, had to satisfy all the different yeah. audiences yeah. there. And the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas particularly, had been a crossroads for 500, 600 years. Um, so the demographic there is fantastically diverse. So um, there was European classical music. There was military brass band music. There was Broadway music. There was calypso music <laughs> coming up from Trinidad. Yeah. There was mambo charanga coming from the Spanish Caribbean, most particularly Puerto Rico. Lucho Gatica, Coltijo y su Combo. There was what we called country and western, which southern gospel. What so, was it about? What, what was it about that kind of music of all the different varieties you were hearing that really stuck into? There was also jazz yeah. in our house. My father was a, a jazz man, a tenor man, and a singer. My mother was a modern dancer, and uh, and uh, and they had separated, and she had taken us off to the islands. Yeah. Um, with a steamer trunk full of Billy Holiday and Al Hibbler and uh, and uh, Duke Ellington, yeah. Count Basie, all that Sarah Vaughan. It's pretty good stuff for your it parents. Is, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they were. I'm born on 52nd Street um, in 1945 when 52nd Street was jazz heaven. Yeah. So my pop was over there playing with the uh, Prez. That's Lester Young yeah, and yeah. and Eleonora Fagan. You know who that is? That I don't know. Billy Holiday. <laughs> so, uh, we we like to call her Eleonora. Okay. Um, no relation. No. no. <laughs> uh, which is an interesting story, how she came to be Fagan, how I came to be Fagan. Interesting. But that's a whole that's other... another podcast. Another show. Um, so... So, when we had fled to Puerto Rico, um, uh, my sister and I found this 
radio station that broadcast in English. Uh, we very quickly learned how to speak Spanish. Still, um, this was 1954-55, and um, and rock and roll was was just a borning. And uh, and on on Saturday, this uh, the radio station, which was WHOA, would have a dance party for teenagers. We weren't teenagers yet, but by God, we were going. Um, don't be cruel, hound dogs, uh, great balls of fire, and the platters, man. Just a beautiful, beautiful singing. Fats Domino, Blueberry Hill, Little Richard. It was fantastic. So, um, <clears throat> so we would go out there for the dance party. I mean, it was all we could do to get there and get back. Uh, my sister and I were on our own in Puerto Rico. She was ten and a half. I was nine. Um, my mother was in the hospital. Our stepfather was in the in the detox rehab, the VA. Um, I would. Uh, I was a hunter gatherer. I hunted and gathered Coca Cola bottles uh, to sell. And um, in those days, uh, cigarettes were I think thirty three cents in Puerto Rico, and they'd put two pennies in in the cellophane wrapper. And if I could find an empty pack, there was two cents. And, and my sister was the cook, and and uh, we had a, a short menu, but it was completely full of stuff we loved. Um, the two dishes um, in our in our menu were fried flour and uh, fried sugar. <laughs> so, God bless her. She developed a, a a much larger menu through the years and was a fantastic cook. You're hearing this music. Obviously, it's um, it's a big influence on you. You've got some 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 music in the family. But when does it occur not, to you? Not some. It uh, it's all music. All music. My uh, great grandmother was an orphan girl from Scotland, Sally Travis, who came to America at uh, 19 on her own, and was a barroom singer. Um, my father was a wonderful singer, tenor man. Um, I've been a singer and a writer all my life. I have a child who is a wonderful writer and yeah. singer. Um, and and on my mother's side, uh, they toured Japan with Red Red. Uh, what the heck's the guy's name? Not Red Buttons. Red. Some men at jazz band Dixieland. Um, anyway, yeah. music is coming and going all over the place. It's, it's, it's so it was no little thing. Yeah, it was everything. But it, it, it's interesting, you know, in the case of Stephen, where the the influence is there, even if you're not in his life. Like there's, it's something in the blood or the yeah. bones or well, in the DNA. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really is. I mean. I when I first heard his work, which was with the '69 uh, love songs, yeah. I'm listening to the tunes. I had the the strangest, almost out of body experience, saying, "Jesus, I don't remember writing that song." 
and why the heck did I? Why did it go that way? Why didn't it go this way, lyrically or yeah. melodically? But it was so completely familiar to me. Any of those melodies. I mean, I think if someone takes the time to compare our melodies, yeah. I think they'll find that they most certainly uh, coming from um, the same spring. Um, also, when I was much younger, I wrote these very diverse songs across all sorts of genres. Part yeah. of the problem yeah. was what bin did we put Scott Fagan stuff yeah. in and nobody knew. But but I wrote all that stuff because I just told you what we heard. Yeah. That's We heard all that stuff. So let me see if I have an idea for this story. That's the sort of music that lends itself to supporting yeah. and developing the delivery of that idea. So what do I care what genre it yeah. is? You know. It, 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 it sounds like what you... And this Stephen is exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, he's... That, yeah. that album in particular, yeah. you know, it's yeah, yeah. 69 songs of yeah. genre and everything else are all over the place. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Stephen, I think, probably has a very different take on it. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I these every one of these songs yeah. felt to me like something I'd, I'd written and forgotten. Yeah. What the heck? What the heck? See your garden, Mademoiselle. The garden we spoke of that I loved so well. Orchids. And roses, my favorite smell. When did he appear on your radar again? When did you realize that your your son was a, a very incredibly talented songwriter? Well, I, I didn't realize I had a son to begin with, so it wasn't a son yeah. off yonder. Yeah. Um, I have uh, five children with four different women. Um, and um, so I'm, I'm with one of them in uh, Oxford, Mississippi. We have uh, time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've, if you have time, I have time. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, we were in Oxford, Mississippi, and a previous wife calls and says, There's a kid on the radio saying you're his father. You've got huh. some explaining to do. <laughs> So uh, maybe he knew that day was going to come someday. <laughs> well, you know, I I wondered if there yeah. was a child, um, and I had prepared the other children. I said, "Look, someday uh, an older child may show up," and as a matter of fact, um, that may still be the case. Um, so I sort of prepared them for maybe. I just didn't want them to be completely blown. blown. <laughs> Anyway, so um, 
this kid is, is saying, you're his father and you got some explaining. So I called up, uh, it was Fresh Air. And they gave me the number of a, uh, a booking agent in Chicago who gave me a number uh, for his manager, Claudia Gonson. Do you know Claudia? I don't. She's terrific. Um, and Claudia put Stephen and I in touch uh, by email. So we communicated back and forth uh, via email as I traveled all around the place, and he did the same. Was he looking to get in contact with you? Well, he must have. He had some reason for saying, my father's Scott Fagan. It may be that, you know, I did, I have always had some notoriety. Um, it may be that that uh, that it was useful or helpful to them in some way to say, "Oh yes, we're not complete strangers to music business." Um, but if he's on fresh air, he's already achieved some success at that point. So maybe they're asking about. I yeah. don't know. I didn't hear the show. I don't know. Yeah. Next time you see Stephen, <laughs> ask him. He's a good fellow. Yeah. Um, well defended, but really yeah, good. Yeah, good yeah, fellow. yeah. Um, it, it, so we then uh, um, there was a film done about Doc Palmer yeah. called AKA yeah. Doc Palmer, and um, and it was premiering at the uh, Lincoln Center. So I and that's all. I was going to be in New York for that. So I took the um, opportunity to invite uh, Stephen's mother, uh, Alex. And uh, and Stephen to the premiere, and they came, and uh, and um, it was the beginning of uh, getting together, yeah. and it's just good, it's just wonderful. And Doc's granddaughter, the wonderful Lily Moonbeam, is Stephen's biggest fan. I mean, it's ridiculous how circular the yeah. whole thing is. Yeah, yeah, he's a good, good fellow. And you knew. When did you know you wanted to record a song? When did you know you wanted to record a song? I know you're putting that project together. I view myself as as primarily a singer who writes. I think Stephen probably sees himself as a writer who sings. Yeah. Um, my father was writing stories, musical type stories, and and hoping that I would record them. And by God, I would have been delighted to record them um, so I heard a bunch of tunes um, and uh, lots of them that, 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 uh, that I think I could sing the heck out of and so I thought well that'd be fun and I think we'll do it sometime and I will sing the heck out of them if I can and um, this will be good the, the, the early successes that you had, at least in terms of you know moving to New York and immediately meeting somebody and um, you know meeting these these great mentors, having excited managers tell you that you're going to be bigger than Elvis, were, were those beneficial to you? Was it or you know I'm, I've got to imagine there's some downside there where when you don't achieve the things they promise, you, it's kind of, it's easy to get depressed, it's easy to get down on yourself. Well, um, we wrote soon. Yeah. Which is really quite something. Yeah. Um, I I know, I know that I'm a really good writer. Yeah. I believe that I'm a exceptional singer. Mm-hmm. I know what I know. Yeah. Um, 
I was just reading. I mean, I was just reading. Uh, I was just reading um, reviews in the uh, London Times, yeah. the Daily Mirror, the Guardian. Guardian said the Guardian. some nice things about you. Yeah. So, um, and in the, in the Guardian article, when I looked at it, there were forty-five replies. Yeah. And man, if you read that stuff, yeah. it, it's just mind-boggling. Um, so they're, but Christ, you can't take any of that to heart. I know, I know. Um, there was a, a line there. Uh, what a wonderful woman uh, uh, she was, also. But there was a line. Um, I, we were living in California, up in the mountains in San Diego County, up by Julian. Yeah. And um, and I I had to find a way uh, to make some money to take care of the uh, we had uh, I have a uh, five children the eldest is, is Stephen yeah. uh, then I have um, little Scott and he's named that because of his mother not me I was going <laughs> to name him Max um, and then uh, I have a pair of twins Lily yeah. and Archie and then the youngest is Holiday. Um, so Lily and Archie and their mom Annie and I are living up on a hundred acre dirt farm up in the up in the mountains. Here. Um, so I had to go down uh, find a way to scrabble up yeah. some dig- digit for. Us. So um, I went down the L.A. Um, and um, and uh, for years I, you know, we knew that. Um, most folks in the music business had absolutely no access to recovery. Um, we were all independent contractors, not covered by anything. Um, so I had gotten sober and uh, and and knew that uh, that I had the ability to to envision and then design and then implement a program for the music business. So I went to UCLA uh, for two years to get my own counselor training and then learn how to design and manage uh, uh, chemical dependent, non-profit chemical dependency programs. Um, but th- that was hard, hard, hard times. Yeah. I was living in, in a place I like to call the Bombay Arms, which was a little SRO. And I was um, getting, uh, getting to work at 4 in the morning. Yeah. I, was, I was cleaning uh, a nightclub called Kingston 12. Mm-hmm. So I'd clean the bathrooms, all the vomit, all the mess, yeah. all the everything. Um, and and then at ten I go to my second job, which was um, shipping posters. And then in the evening I go to UCLA, and then back to the Bombay Arms. And leave a uh, lot of room for, for no. playing music. No, no. On the weekends I'd go. I'd get on the bus and the train and go back up to yeah. my little ones in the country. Um, and and so this was. A program to benefit musicians primarily, creative folks, but also the secretaries and their children and everybody in the music business. The idea was that 
the idea was that uh, uh, these folks have no access um, and and their dependency is impacting and 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 is all through the work that they're doing the, yeah. the stuff they're writing um, so I was going there to learn how to do that and from time to time man I uh, you know, they didn't know me from... They thought I was just another wannabe out yeah. there. Uh, I would go into the uh, library at UCLA, look up Jasper Johns, look up <laughs> Scott Fagan record, and sit there yeah. and cogitate on that. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, though, I was continuing to write tunes, and uh, um, a number of, As a matter of fact, I wrote most of Sandy the Blue-Nosed Reindeer, during that time, going back and forth on the bus and the train and things. Um, yeah, so it, it's tough. But look, um, people say, well, Scott, if if um, if things were different, blah, 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 if things were different, I wouldn't have the yeah. children I have. Yeah. And, and Brian, the reality is I wouldn't trade any one of them for a hundred freaking million dollars I just wouldn't Yeah, I just wouldn't uh, and I wouldn't have these children had I uh, yeah. been swept up in uh, in Mula Bula I can give you nothing 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 but love you know that I With searching to be done Drinking rum and water When the holidays have come Dancing for the tourists See them laughing one by one Well every man is happy And it's all in fun See the ship I go on It's red with yellow sails We're up and down Pillsbury Sound River in the mail Got a box of nails for Foxy Sugar Cane for Joe and Gail Seaweed will be flying till the winds have failed Cause every man is happy plus I've been in jail so Was was there, but there was always a sense that you were going to be able to get back into music? Well, I was in music. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on the bus riding down Venice Boulevard writing songs on the weekend mm-hmm. on the train. Yeah. Uh, I was in music, and this program I was designing was for yeah. music. Uh, so, so I'm counseling scads of musicians. I mean, that really got to me. I'm, I'm doing all I can to help these folks become all they might be. Yeah. And and I'm in denial of my own of my own of my own work and my own. Uh, need to focus my attempts uh, to focus my work and my efforts on my own career. So, yeah. so I, I did a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy I did it. But man, I can't do anything other than music alone. Yeah. It just can't. Be, I just can't do it. So, um, so I'm, I'm recording uh, Sandy Blue Nose Rain up in Topanga Canyon. Yeah. And counseling, I'm, I'm on site. Uh, um, I was working at Brotman Medical Center. I was running their sober living program, 50-bed co-ed uh, 
residential program. So I'm on site uh, five days, five nights a week, uh, on call 24 hours a day. And 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 my time in the corner, I'm writing and, and blah blah blah. Anyway, um, it was important work, and uh, and that um, the program that I designed evolved into Music Heroes, which is still yeah. doing good work for people. What what was all this time? What was driving you to continue to write? Was it just that you couldn't you could not do it? Yeah, people ask about that yeah. as though we have choice. <laughs> You don't. You don't. I, we're not like people that have choice. Um, we can sit here and, and, and eat wonderful things and, and talk wonderful talk. Yeah. Pretty soon I'm going to, you, know, you might have to get up to go home or something. But i got to get up to take care of music. Yeah. It's just not something that we have choice about. I mean... I everything depends on 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 music in me. Uh, it's just not a matter of choice. I mean, I can be in denial of it, but that's yeah. just being in denial. But you, you sound like somebody who, you know, when it comes to writing and performing, you're always focused on on the next project. So it's got to be a little bit surreal that um, lately, this week in particular, you're dealing with this album from decades ago. I mean, what's it like looking back? Um, it's beyond surreal. Yeah. It's a Merkel. It's a Merkel. <laughs> um, it's just... Uh, it's it's fantastic. I yeah. mean, I was just down the street looking at the building where I wrote these songs yeah. 47 yeah. years ago. Uh, and, and reliving, we were all up there living in Herb's office. Um, Herb had the Young Bloods and... Mm. and, and Herb had everybody yeah. in uh, in folk rock and, yeah. and folk at, at one time or another. Um, it, it, it is very surreal. Um, however, Doc had taught me, Scotty, write standards, write songs that are not stuck in time, yeah. that yeah. aren't linked to a particular yeah. fad or... or um, yeah. Dance yeah, um, right standards, and I tried to do that, yeah. and and I think these tunes hold up fairly well. Um, I think they hold up really well, and it's because that's what we we did. We tried to write uh, songs that were timeless. Um, so through the years, I would get uh, um, a little message from. Uh, a guy in Czechoslovakia who would say, "Man, we got a fan club. You got to come see us. When are you coming?" <laughs> and I'd say, "As soon as I can." It's, there's people in Rotterdam right now that are waiting for me to to come. <laughs> there's uh, there's people in Romania. There's people in Germany. I would hear from these folks. Oh, we love South Atlantic blues. Yeah. When are you coming? As though I could just magically come tour. Uh, if I could, I would have, yeah. I swear. I mean, the song is not complete until you receive it. It 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 completes this circuit. I don't mean to be technically metaphysical. Sure. But uh, I yeah. write it. It's for you to hear yeah. it. And, and when you've heard it, like it or not, 
um, the song is that moment is complete and that's an individual moment for how many billions of people seven and a half billion yeah. people um, so I, I write it for that to occur and and I want people to receive the song if it speaks to them that's wonderful if it doesn't then we move on to the next song um, so I would get these messages and, and recently maybe around 2004 or 5 this guy uh, named Jakarta Jive is out there on the internet writing wonderful things about mm. South Atlantic blues and Scott Fagan yeah. and pretty soon people are corresponding with him and, and this little dark corner of the world is very much about South Atlantic blues mm. and that meant a lot to me really it does and um, all this time I'm gigging down in uh, back and forth to St. Thomas down in gigging down to Pennsylvania and and just trying to get back to a, a, a world stage you know rather than a region yeah. um, pretty soon I get a call from a fellow named Hugh Deller saying he is going to do an article for uh, Shindig magazine. Um, and we talk and interview, and bloof, before you know it, there's this beautiful five-page spread <laughs> in Shindig. <coughs> Photos and yeah. um, just wonderful enthusiasm. And uh, a few weeks later, I get a call from a fellow named Chris Campion, who loves South Atlantic Blues and has a little record label and wants to talk about reissuing it. And of course I'm happy to hear this. It happens that uh, my friend Matthew McCauley, a, a great producer of music and, and composer for film and television, and I had had the idea to uh, on the 40th anniversary of uh, Scott Fagan record. Wouldn't it be great if people when they're looking at Scott Fagan records, could be hearing what the artist was hearing when he created the record. Um, so we were able to um, we were able to work up a deal with uh, Rhino, who has the yeah. Atco catalog. Yeah. Um, but and and. Um, and we're able to get permission from Jasper to yeah. use uh, Scott Fagan record to be the cover of a new release of South Atlantic Blues. So we got that far, but we didn't have enough money to pursue it. And but so the pieces were in place when Chris Campion called. Uh, we were able to rekindle that deal and and move forward with it fairly quickly. And uh, as you know, uh, is today the twentieth. Uh, yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, Today so, is yeah. the re-release oh, yeah. of South Atlantic Blues. Is it? Is it still your favorite co- collection of songs that you've done? There is no favorite it's collection. Favorite. There is no favorite yeah. collection of songs. I've written many, many songs since then. Um, many, many good songs. <coughs> There's something special about it, though. I mean, it was sure. your, your first. Sure. Well, my first album, yeah. not my first recordings. Mm. Um, uh, Give Love a Chance, which was a single I did for Bang, 
Bert Burns signed, uh, had three singer-songwriters uh, signed, Neil Diamond, Van Morrison, and myself. <laughs> and when, uh, he, so he broke those guys, and yeah. when it came to mind, the poor man upped and died, which was not good for the record or yeah. Bert. Um, so that fell by the wayside, but that was going to be one of the uh, bonus tracks. Unfortunately, uh, that and, and my ATCO recordings and uh, an album I did for uh, what I call the Helsinki album, an al- album released on RCA here, uh, many sunny places, are all with Sony. And Sony wasn't able to move quickly enough to uh, for us to use these yeah. as bonus tracks. Um, do I love the songs on South Atlantic Blues? I did, and I do, mm-hmm. and that's why they're yeah. there. But I, I love, man. I, you know, the, I could, I love the songs in soon. Um, it's a tremendous disappointment to me that. The blasted thing has never been recorded. Um, we got a fairly strong backlash from the music business mm. um, around soon and, and 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 the disrespect we showed for the big boys in the business. Yeah. Uh, so I really would like to see the, that recorded, and and when it is recorded. I fully expect people to say, whoa, what a great thing, yeah. man, whoa, blah, blah, blah. But uh, there are many, and and my little Christmas operetta, people are people love that. And then, um, you know, I've been the, the number one white calypso singer hmm. for over 50 wow. years. Yeah. You guys don't know anything <laughs> about that. Um, I did uh, recently did a, a Calypso comedy record in in in, in Calypso, which is uh, a sort of English patois. Um, I've done a lot of yeah. stuff, and and my sincere hope is that this renewed attention can yeah. open up channels so this stuff can get out there. W- was there a sense? I mean, you know, it sounds like that you have, you feel like you're going to revisit soon was there a sense before all this happened that maybe this stuff would come back into your life it's all been in my life yeah my life has never moved away from these things this is just unfinished business yeah and and we could be talking about scott what the heck is this about unfinished business yeah how do you wander around with unfinished business thank you for 50 years or 40 and 30 sure. and blah blah Thank blah you. so I have a lot of unfinished business yeah. and if this can provide um, a channel for for that work to get to the people that 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 it will speak to yeah. that would be the greatest thing ever well un, you know, un, unfinished business in the case of soon it sounds like it's actually recording the, re- the, the record but what, what was the unfinished business with, with South Atlantic Blues well, that nobody heard it. It was just okay. So it it was written to be heard. Yeah. Um. So uh, look, there are thousands of other great writers and singers out there. Yeah. That 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 people have never heard of. Yeah. Um, the music business was not fair. Isn't fair. Isn't fair today. Mm-hmm. Um. And and I. 
and the recipient of tremendous grace. And I am profoundly grateful for it. Yeah. Um, which is not to say I don't cuss up a storm, I do. Which is not to say I'm, I'm suddenly saintly, I'm not. But, uh, boy, I know grace when, when, it, when it hits yeah. me in the head. Uh, Grace and Hugh Deller, thank you, and Chris Campion. Yeah. And now the people that um, are going out of their way to say very kind things about me and, and the record. And it's a great record. It is. And I've known it all along. And, and uh, not every song is the greatest song ever, but, but I write all of them with that intention. And... Um, and that's the story. Was, was was there a sense that that it would get its due, that, that people would realize that it was a good record? Well, you hope for that. Sure. And maybe you pray for that, yeah. but, but you certainly don't expect it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I hope for is that uh, people would see that uh, this guy... I'm still out there singing, you know. Mm. This guy's a really good singer. Yeah. These are really interesting songs. Well, that's one of the really interesting things about it too. Is you know these these uh, these records will pop up from time to time, and um, you just sort of at, at this point you just anticipate that that person's not around anymore. So it's 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 a doubly amazing discovery when you realize that you know not only is he still around, but he's he's out there out there playing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, 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 uh, I don't know, I don't comprehend, no, and and you're not going to tell me yeah. that I can't freaking sing. <laughs> I'm going to sing if I wanna. That's just, I mean, I, I do have more than a little defiance in me. Yeah. How did you, um, how did you get back into playing playing the songs? Have you been playing any of them? I've been playing uh, Mademoiselle and uh, South Atlantic Blues. Uh, from time to time, Nickels and Dimes, which is a three-quarter jazz waltz. Um, In Your Hands, I used again to be the opening song for soon. So that that establishes where yeah. the boy is at at yeah. the beginning of soon. Um, but um, I've been doing other material. I mean, you know, people say to me, Scott, when are you going to stop doing the old stuff? I'm going to stop doing it when everybody's heard it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have heard many people say, Scott, you got to just stick with the new stuff now. But no, 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 no. I'm going to stick with it all until it's been heard. Is is there a desire to give people, you know, now that this is what they're interested in aesthetically, is, is there a desire to give them something similar, something in the vein of, of that first record? You mean to replicate? Well, replicate might be too harsh a word, but, you know... Um, you know, if people are expecting that, and you, you and you play clips of music, um, I'm not going to give up who I am sure. and what I do yeah. to meet someone's inappropriate, narrow expectation. Yeah. Um, I hope to heck to bring them along yeah. on whatever journey it is. But for those folks that that are 
thrilled by the intensity of South Atlantic blues, they need uh, to hear soon, which mm-hmm. is the follow-up record, yeah. and which was so upsetting to many people that it was never recorded. And and it is a really good 90-minute piece of music. It's it's one solid piece of music. Um, and after they've sizzled their brains with these two albums, then yeah. I think they'll be relieved to hear <laughs> Santa Slay. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but I've got uh, another album called uh, Dream Should Never Die that we did in yeah. St. Thomas. Uh, a wonderful album. Um, it's got uh, a tune on it called El Gringuito. I was raised in part by uh, Puerto Rican people, yeah. and and Gringuito is is a thank you, is a thank you to them, and uh, we're in and out of Spanish and yeah. and um, raised in large part by people of color, and and all of that shows up in the work as it's supposed to. Did, did you did you go out of your way to, to do something different every time you recorded? Was that was that uh, conscious? No, no, no. no, no. No, I no, I've gone out of my way to to try and maintain a level of honesty and commitment because I think that what I do is is far enough out of the ordinary that uh, the last thing I need to be doing is uh, chasing my tail, wondering what people want, what they'll respond to. Um, there's no way in the world. Uh, find me way home if if I'm chasing everybody else's idea. But but has not from a commercial standpoint, but has revisiting this stuff has kind of thinking about where you were when you recorded it. You know, wa- walking past the building, um, thinking about that songwriting process. Do you feel like that will impact the songwriting on the next project? Um, the songs for the next project are already written. Whatever. Long ago. <laughs> okay, but whatever you're working on right now, I mean, you know, it's, nah, it, this nah. must be interesting, and you're no. drawing from life experiences. And the next project, if it's about modern times, will be about modern times. Yeah. It'll come from the same sort of conviction, and hopefully, uh, um, it'll be interesting yeah. and, and good. But it'll it'll come from modern times, and and um, you know when people have received the stuff that is already in the mail to them, um, that's already been written and recorded and and intended for them, uh, they will move forward to to the next stuff. Yeah. Man, you can't look. There are a lot of people that are. Are following trends and all that, and and um, that's not what I, I do. So what? So this one that's already written and what 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 what, what is the project? The one that you've, you've already well, I it's soon mm-hmm. I have to get it recorded. Um, the beautiful little uh, Christmas uh, piece for children. I have another piece called The Great Seahorse about a kid that falls overboard and is rescued by a giant seahorse and his little children. And 
when I was little, we'd hear these fantastic things on the radio. Red Lantern, Green Lantern, yeah. and, and, yeah. and I love all that. Yeah. And, uh, and I've spent a lot of my life uh, raising children. And, and the reality is uh, I'm probably no more than seven years old. Really, that's where I'm most <laughs> comfortable in that moment yeah. in time. So um, a seven-year-old writes this stuff, and it's fun. And uh, no, no, the last thing I want is for people to say, "Oh no, Scott, you've got to, uh, you've got to do everything in the key of anger, uh, in the key of unhappiness." Yeah. No, no, no. And this, this, um, this, this past week, sort of, you know, looking back at the record and playing some of the songs, it's still, it's still fun. It's great fun, man. I sang the heck out of these tunes the other night yeah. at uh, Rough Trade. Rough Trade, yeah. yeah. Um, people have been people came there to hear these songs, yeah. And and that is uh, very unusual. I was so happy to sing these songs for people that actually came to hear them. Yeah. And and look, I'm really grateful, but I I can still sing pretty well and I sang the heck out of them um, forgive the lack of humility but that's just the way it is you know one morning maybe soon I'll wake up yeah. and be dribbling all over myself but till then I'm going to sing the heck out of these songs and every other song I can um, really I, I'm a singer who writes and and by now I ought to have 60 albums <laughs> Polkas and yeah. and country songs sure. and all of it. I just love to sing it all. You know, um, I just I'm just a singer, man, who loves to sing. And and uh, and uh, a writer with a message. The original title for soon was, in fact, the message. We uh, we were. That's what we were writing. We were writing the message, yeah. and the producers um, Edgar Bronfman and M. Seagrams um, thought they'd come upon um, another entertainment, a hair or something. But we had no interest in entertaining. We were carrying a message, so we were fired and barred from the theater. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Robert Greenwald, who was the original director, myself and and the great Kukulis. Uh, it was a, a wonderful piece, though. Um, and I, I sincerely hope you will hear it, and I think you will, and, and I hope that you'll hear a whole bunch of stuff, and I'd like to hear from you about which things you enjoy most, and like that. Black and white, past the grass, for the mass. There you go, that was Scott Fagan. Uh, don't, uh, don't really know where to start with that one. Obviously an utterly fascinating conversation with him. Thanks to Max at Shorefire for setting that up. Um, new album, 
or I rather uh, old album lost lost people have been using the word lost a lot to refer to it uh, record South Atlantic Blues is out now from Light in the Attic Records um, really uh, you know I think um, people have been using the word masterpiece to refer to it it's 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 a really uh, really terrific lost record and it's um, kind of a beautiful thing that it's circulated back into into consciousness um the guardian uh, did a really nice long piece interviewing scott about it and uh, mentioned the fact that uh that it was released the same week as uh, as van morrison's astral weeks um but obviously didn't uh didn't quite catch on for uh for reasons that um that were highlighted in that conversation um but you know really fascinating circumstances around that uh, around around Scott's life, um, you know, and and really interesting to talk to people. You know, when I think about kind of you know my my own experiences, um, you know, how I've gotten to where I am. There are um, there are you know really just kind of a, a handful of moments that I can point to that really drastically altered the course of my life, and you know. The, um, He's certainly uh, thought about those quite a bit, but uh, just still an incredibly overwhelming, positive person. Um, we spoke for a, a really long time, captured a big chunk of it on tape, but um, after uh, after we stopped rolling, kept kept talking a bit. He uh, went to a, a tea place that I often record uh, episodes at in, in Midtown, and um, you know, it's uh, just um, really kind of wonderful hearing his 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 outlook on life. Uh, you know, he's able to go back and look at the successes that he's had. You know, the um, the, the work that Jasper Johns did. Um, you know, the, this record, various other records that he's put out over the years. Um, you know, obviously uh, reuniting with uh, uh, Stephen Merritt, his his, uh, his son. From the uh, from the magnetic fields, also a really wonderful songwriter, um, and and you know and, and just the 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 creative drive that that he has, and you know and and he he certainly said this in in this interview and has, has said it in uh, quite a few others that um, he's you know I he's just going to keep recording music, um, you know I guess until until he can no longer open his mouth. Uh, so thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks again to Max at uh, Shorefire for setting this up. Thanks to uh, Brian for editing the show together. Thanks to uh, everybody at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like the show, many other fine Boing Boing podcasts you can check those out over Boing Boing. Or you can go check them out over at iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, you should take the opportunity to rate this show. If you liked what you heard, if you didn't, I guess don't. Uh, If you got any feedback, it's riylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. Uh, we've got a Facebook thing. You can like us over there. And um, I guess that's, uh, that's about all I got this week. So thank you so much for listening. I, I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed uh, conversing. Um, thank you so much. We will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.